been a while. But in this episode, we interview award-winning journalist, TV broadcaster, now moved to entrepreneur, coaching speakers how to create compelling sales messaging and a keynote that is going to sell from stage. My good friend, Jason Reed. This is I Will Teach You to Speak. Jason, welcome to the show. I am so excited to be here, Jonathan. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. And for those of the audience members that don't know you, you own a business and a company called Power Story um, Master. That's Power right. Power Story Master. That in itself is a, is a very powerful name. And one of the things you do is you help write compelling sales messages. And as a salesperson myself, I know how important it is to be able to demonstrate a value proposition in a very short period of time. So I'm curious from your perspective, why is it so important that people develop this elevator pitch and how do you take the approach of teaching them how to do that? Yeah, so let's, let's talk about one of the reasons that it's so powerful and that is because it is spoken word. Spoken word messaging is by far the most powerful messaging out there because it's the most simple. You know, people are used to having conversations. And, you know, particularly when it comes to sales, and I'm sure you know this, Jonathan, is it's all about being able to have those conversations. Yeah. So if you can create a message that is conversational and that's natural and that's clear, you mm -hmm. can send into conversations much more easily. And also, you know, if you're at a networking event or something like that, when you get up, again, if you're very clear and powerful about what it is that you do, you're going to get people's attention because there's people out there that may need what you want, but there may be people out there that don't. However, if you can really create a great impression through a conversational, simple, clear and powerful message, people will remember that and you'll end up getting referrals as well as the people who actually see you speak. I love what you said there about simplicity because what I find is when I come across things that are complex, it typically stops me from taking action. There's too much to think about. I'm a little bit indecisive, but you're saying that the simpler you are, the better you can actually capture people's attention. Exactly. And you know, this is really in all, in all, all, all facets. So in addition to the work I do with entrepreneurs, I also am a professional speaker myself, and I found that, you know, especially when I was starting, even though I didn't have a lot of experience, I could get uh, spots on stage just mm -hmm. by the fact that when I contacted the meeting planner, I was very clear about what I could offer to their audience and how it would work and was able to do that, you know, in a very short and elegant way. And people respond to that. Um, you know, here's the uh, thing for those people out there who, who, who are speakers, if you send somebody a 10 page uh, email about what you do, what they're going to do is they're going to look at that and go, well, if you can't be clear and concise in this communication, then you're not going to be clear and concise on the stage. Absolutely. That's a great message. I appreciate that. And one thing that I love and respect about what you do Jason, is that you're coming from a background that gives you a lot of credibility and expertise to share and train people on this. 
thing that are some of my biggest pet peeves is when people decide to start a business where they have no real business being in business in that business. And so what I love that you do is you're coming from this background of being a TV producer and coaching speakers that are in front of the camera for the weather network. And what I want to ask you is what made you decide to take that jump? And then what were the, the major skills and lessons that you're able to take from that professional career into this entrepreneurial career? Yeah, why don't I sort of switch those questions around a little bit and, and, and talk about the uh, the things that I actually bring to what I've told okay, you. Okay, great. So, um, because this, this connects to what we just talked about, about having that clear and simple message and why conversation, conversational and spoken word messaging works so well. One of the reasons why it works so well is it forces you to understand clearly what it is you're talking about. And I, I learned this as I was a writer in television news for years. Um, if you're writing a newspaper column, sometimes you can basically take, you know, what people say and jargon and stuff like that and put it in a column, but it doesn't work when you're using the spoken word because okay. the spoken word is so much simpler. So what I realized was that I had to be perfectly clear about understanding a particular story before I could write it. If I wasn't clear, I wasn't able to write it well. So that's one of the things that I think I really bring to what I'm doing now is recognizing that if I'm gonna help someone with their message or a talk, I've gotta ask the right questions. I've gotta really understand what they're doing in a way that sometimes actually more in depth than they recognize, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and you know that's one of the big things. The other big thing too that I learned, particularly writing television news, was being able to write in someone else's voice. So I was always writing scripts for different announcers, and to be a really good writer, you have to understand the voice of those announcers. So Peter Man is going to sound different um, than uh, Knowlton Nash or um, you know someone else. So you really have to be able to get inside somebody's head and hear their voice, which is another thing that really separates me from a lot of the other people doing what I do. So to get back to the why I left television, um, I was kind of the canary in the coal mine. As, uh, as an executive, I could see the economics of TV changing. Okay. Um, when I was in television, it was an incredible amount of growth. We were growing, our viewership was growing at like 15% per year, every year for like four or five years. It's wow. huge. Um, and then video started coming online in, on the web and on mobile. And the other big thing was the advertisers too, because television advertising is very expensive because it goes out to so many people. But when web advertising came in and you could pay per click, mm -hmm. it was a lot cheaper. So I saw the economics of it. And I also saw that the thing that I was best at, which was you know, helping create really high quality stories that would get people to watch longer so we could make more money was actually not what was going to be needed in the future, which was, you know, let's have as much content as possible, make it like really, really short, 10, 15 seconds, because our competition is some guy on YouTube with a cat video. Rather <laughs> than that, right? Yes. So, yeah, you look at the, the, the economics. Okay, I've got a million dollar budget. I'm trying to put something together. And my competition is a 16 second cat video that somebody's paying nothing for. Um, you could you could see where television was in trouble. And that was one of the big reasons why I, I left. The second reason was the fact that, you know, in trying to sort of manage this sort of 
chaos that the digital world brought, I was working like 70 hour weeks. And I thought, oh, wow. oh, if I could, if I could only, you know, take all of this time and effort that I'm putting into somebody else's dream, somebody else's mm. put it into my own. Well, wouldn't that be awesome? So once I started looking at it that way, that's, that's the reason I made that switch. That's fantastic. And it's clear to me that you're passionate about what you do. You love what you do. And I want to rewind really quickly. You mentioned asking people questions that maybe they hadn't been asking themselves and to help you to create the right sales message, a compelling sales message. And you even mentioned part of what you do in your business is helping people create keynotes as well. What are the questions people aren't asking yourselves or what are the most important questions that people need to start asking themselves when they make these compelling sales messages and keynotes? Yeah, well, one of the, I mean, one of the big ones now is how am I different? How is my approach to this problem? And let's face it, all businesses involve solving some sort of problem. Yes. How, how is my approach different? Um, and the reason why this is becoming more important is there's more and more competition. When I got into this like eight years ago, yes, there were coaches around, but there were, there were a lot fewer, a lot fewer consultants. And you could pretty much have a basic message and get away with it. But now when you may have, you know, anywhere between a dozen to two dozen competitors, um, if you're in a, a largish city or more, then you really have to differentiate yourself. And, and that is figuring out how you look at the problem differently. And one of the things that I ask my clients to do is say, okay, when people are solving this problem, once they know the basics, because there's a lot of basics out there on the internet of how to do anything in business. Yes. So they've learned about the basics, they've tried it, and it still doesn't work. What's missing? And that's usually what that gem is that we can craft the message around. Okay, great. Let me take it a little bit further, one step deeper. Yeah. If you were to do the pitch of this is my unique differentiator versus other people that would do similar propositions in business, what would that be for you and how would you communicate that? How would I communicate my own difference in doing that? Is that yeah. Right? yeah, your own differentiator. Yeah, here's the thing. Um, I think because of my background, number one, um, I ask better questions. Um, I listen better. And number three, it's just there's a muscle that you develop when you've done something for, you know, 20 years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, consider that, you know, what I've done over the years in my life, the majority of my life has been taking information, really looking at it, asking the right questions, repackaging it, putting it together in something that is powerful and make the audience actually go, oh, wow, I didn't notice that, or I didn't know that. Um, and that's, that's another skill that comes from television news writing is because, you know, when the basic news is out there, it's kind of the same. So if you want to differentiate yourself as a news reporter or a news writer, what you have to do is figure out what is it that people aren't talking about with this. And that's where you end up getting your own differentiator over everybody else. And that works in the business world, too. So I really think it's just that experience of doing that every single day, day in, day out, that, that makes me different from a lot of other people out there doing that who just don't have that muscle developed because they haven't done it for as long. Okay. Got it. Tell me about being inside your practice when you're going through your curriculum or the things that you would commonly teach your clients. What's one or two things that when you're teaching it, you 
typically get some resistance on. And the reason I ask this is because when I have resistance in things in my life, it's probably because it makes me uncomfortable. But if I go through that, that's where I get the most growth. So I'm curious, where do, where do people usually have the most resistance? I think one of the big things right now where I'm finding resistance is when it comes to telling their story. And part of this has to do with what's happening right now in the solopreneur community, because there are so many people out there who are, you know, developing programs around telling your story, telling your soul story, telling your life story. And of course, you know, my business is called Power Story Master. I've, yes. I've done stories professionally for all my life, but I tell people that no one cares about your story in and of itself. What they care about is the lessons that they learn from that story. They want to know what's in it for them. Mm -hmm. Here's how I explain that. I, I use the analogy of, of a professional truck driver. So a professional truck driver loves his rig or loves her rig, love their trucks, but they don't spend their time in a parking lot driving around and around in a circle. They're professional truck drivers. So they know that that truck is a vehicle to take a very specific cargo to a very specific destination. And that's the same with your story. Your story is a tool. It's not sort of the end goal, particularly if you're you know, an, an entrepreneur, you're, you're trying to get clients with it. What you wanna do is figure out, okay, what's the cargo I wanna carry in this story and where do I want it to go and what do I want the audience to get from it that will benefit them and also down the line benefit me because it will get me more clients. So it's, it's getting people to be more audience focused than central focused because it's not about them. It's really about the audience. I love analogies first and foremost. It really helps people shift their perspective on how they see things. So I can see how you did that. And I love that focus on the audience. One of the most common fears that I hear people when they're getting into public speaking for the first time is they don't want to look bad. And the common rebuttal that I have for that is say, hey, guess what? It's not about you. It's not about you. Yeah. And sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it's, it's really interesting if we want to sort of take that idea and sort of move it further. One of the things that I find that is the reason why people get nervous when they speak is because all their energy is self-directed. Yes. They're thinking about themselves. And the more you think about speaking as energy directed towards an audience, and the more that you can direct that energy and that focus outwards, the less nervous you'll be because you don't have that pent up energy. The energy is going where it needs to, which is the people who are listening to you. Perfect. That's awesome. I think that I'll start thinking of it more as cargo with a purpose rather than it being the, the purpose itself. So that's awesome. I'm also curious about questions. And I love this question personally, but I'm curious, what questions do you wish people would be asking you more? Because you know you have expertise on it. You know if they were to ask or if they were to ask you this question, that your message would make a big impact on the business or their ability to sell from stage. What's that for you? I think it's a very basic question, which is why is it so difficult to talk about myself and what I do? Because it is. It's, you know, it, it, it's one of those, I guess, elephants in the room that people don't talk about enough. Everyone thinks that, wow, it's just me. For some reason, I have trouble speaking about myself. 
and my own business. But the fact is, is that everybody has that same problem because we are so close to what we do. And I find the more that you're an expert on a certain topic, um, because I have people of varying levels of expertise, including you know, people who are psychologists and PhDs, and I find, again, they have the same problem is, you know, the more expertise they have, the more they want to sort of delve into the nuances and be like really up here with their, mm-hmm. their, their message when really their audience needs a message that's more black and white. It's down here. Okay. Got it. And that's, it is really challenging. I think one of the things that even myself personally, I deal with on a, on a constant basis is like, what gives me the, the audacity to be sharing my story and trying to be a role model for people. And I have to constantly try to get over that. Do you find a, a lot of clients have that resistance as well? They do. I mean, the one nice thing is, you know, by the time they've come to me, they've usually decided that they're, that they're going to speak. So usually okay. that, it, they've kind of made that decision. But you know, sometimes I'll actually bring that up if I'm doing a talk to people who I think are very close to speaking, but are, are trying to sort of get over that. And I think one of the one of the big things when it comes to tackling, you know, both of those challenges is working with somebody um, on the outside who can look at it from a different perspective. Um, you know, what I do some, sometimes when I'm working one-on-one with people is I kind of have to be a bit of an actor because I have to ask a lot of questions about, okay, who is your audience? When they're sitting in you know, the room listening to your talk, what are they thinking? And really getting into their headspace because once I can get into the audience headspace, I understand what they need to hear from the speaker to make that next decision. So, you know, being able to work with somebody who can sort of give that audience perspective and get outside your own head can be really beneficial. That's awesome. I love this focus on the audience. It's about who are they? What do they need? What is, how do they look at life? And how can you insert the message in a way that's going to resonate with those people? Exactly. And hey, the more go ahead. That's who you're going to be, regardless of what kind of speaking you do. Okay. And I wasn't going to ask this, but I noticed you got a bookshelf back there. Any particular books that you've read? I don't like asking recently because, you know, when I say, what's your favorite book? They be like, oh, I'm reading a book right now. That's so awesome. Like throughout your career, or maybe when it comes to telling quality stories or sales messaging or marketing, any books that really stand out that have shaped your career or really helped you in a big way? You know what? What's interesting is I find almost every book I read on history mm. um, is influential because what happens when you time travel? What happens when you when you read a book about history is you know you time travel to a different era, and the nice thing about that is is it takes you away from all of the stuff, all of the little things that we're obsessed about as a society. So for right now, you know obviously it's all the digital stuff. Mm-hmm. You go and you read something by Marcus Aurelius, who was, um, you know, a, a Roman leader and a Stoic, and he talks about, you know, life 2,000 years ago. You really get a sense of human, just basic human issues and the basic things that never change about us. The things that we desire, whether it's, you know, status or money or, you know, spiritual growth, mm-hmm. those things that particularly as speakers 
we need to talk about more because those are the things that really connect with our audience. And it also makes our own talks and messages much more timeless, which I think people ultimately connect to more because it's a much deeper space where they're relating to that. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that does make sense. And I'm a fan of Marcus Aurelius. I'm reading The Obstacle is the Way Right Now by Ryan Holiday, and he talks a lot. He's a big fan of Marcus. So uh, thanks for, for reminding me. Uh, another thing I'm curious about, I didn't plan on asking you, but it came up as something that's important. Any specific speakers that you really admire that do a great job of all of the things that you coach and teach and you could almost use as a case study in a way to how to properly sell from stage or speak from stage? Yeah, I, I think when it comes to taking complicated ideas and making them relatable, which especially when you're speaking in a, a, from a business perspective is really the number one, number one thing for you to be able to do. Uh, I think Seth Godin far and away mm. is anyone else at that. Um, he's not as dynamic as a Tony Robbins. Um, you know, he, he's sort of a self-confessed geek. Yeah. Um, he's not overly loud, but when he comes out on a stage, he has a way of, presenting an idea that is so simple and clear and compelling, you can't help but understand it. You know, it, rather than having all this heavy brain energy trying to understand something, he makes it so easy that it's hard to not understand it, if that makes sense. Um, there's a podcast that he did that was basically based on a series of lectures, um, I think in 2012, called Startup School. Okay. And to those, I think there's 17 episodes, and I listened to those probably at least a dozen times each episode, and it really helped me to understand marketing and sales and capitalism, and particularly how it relates to the digital age. Um, and everything he, he talks about, it, he breaks it down so simply into the most elemental pieces so that you know you, you just really have that great understanding when you're done. And I often go back to his stuff too. When I have a very complicated problem, I start thinking about, you know, what he said during the podcast and just like, let's simplify this as much as possible. Let's take all of the, all of the, um, you know, the, the bells and whistles off it and look at what that basic essence of the problem is. And usually if you can do that, you can solve it. Mm. A resounding Seth Godin. <laughs> and uh, I love his podcast, Akimbo. But can you repeat that one more time for the people that may want to listen to the one you were listening to? Yeah, the one I was listening to is called Startup School. Perfect. I'm still available. It came out in 2012. Um, and I think it's 17 episodes. You should be able to find that somewhere. Startup School. Okay, awesome. I'll add that to the show notes. Appreciate the insight there. I'm going to ask one or two more questions. This one's selfish. It's something that I'm thinking about. And I know a lot of people are thinking about this season is 2019 setting goals trying to set them up, up for success you know we may be coming off a really strong year wanting to go into the year with the new year with momentum it may not have gone the way we planned for whatever reason but i'm curious what's your process for setting and accomplishing goals typically people have their own nuanced version but are you very methodical in that way very a type or and, and analytical or how do you approach goal setting yeah, I, here's the thing, compared to, 
compared to the way most people used to be, I would probably consider myself analytical. But it's interesting when you when you ask that question, I was feeling my own resistance to okay. answer blah blah blah. So let me just go through kind of what's what I'm feeling right now, having heard that question. Okay. I think in a lot of ways we've become too goal focused that there's so much competition now and, and things like the, the internet fuels this and the economy fuels it and watching how you know athletes train and everything fuels this. And there, there's obviously a lot of upsides to it. Um, you have people like Tim Ferriss who I love, but you know, he is, I mean, he's kind of self-confessed. Um, I don't know if he uses this term, but he's kind of a bit of a freak. Mm -hmm. um, does these extreme things to get extreme results which is really cool and it sort of suits his personality. But when everybody follows that model, I, I tend to think something is, is missing. One of the things that I really miss, and I never thought that I would miss this, is boredom. Like when I was a kid before there was, um, and, I'm, and I'm old, I'm 50, um, but, but before there was this whole online thing to go to, I would be bored. I would have to come up with my own ideas of stuff to do. Um, and I remember even my, my first business when I was in my early 20s, it was a mail order business. Believe it or not, I, I used to sell uh, horoscopes through the National Enquirer. Amazing. So I would basically, you know, write the ad, either fax it in or mail it in to the Enquirer, and then I'd get all these envelopes with money, and then I'd stuff the horoscopes into other envelopes and send them out. And it was a really boring job, but the thing I loved about that was as I was stuffing the envelopes, is my brain had time to come up with all sorts of creative things, whether it was mm. three or short stories or a screenplay I wanted to write, or even like fun stuff I wanted to do that day. So, you know, as opposed to now, whenever I have free time, I'm thinking, oh, geez, I should be on social media, or I should be uh, promoting this, or I should be getting more likes for that. Yeah. And I, I think that ends up being a challenge. You know, I know people who have these Instagram lives. I mean, they're, 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 they're great people and they have these beautiful lives on Instagram. But, you know, I watch how they live and they make their decisions not based on what they really want to do, you know, deep down in their heart, but sort of like what looks good and what's cool. Mm -hmm. I think we could do a little bit better for our own personal lives and our own happiness if we sort of had a bit more balance and you know, scrolled back a little bit on the goal setting and just gave ourselves some breathing room so that when opportunities in life come up to do fun things, that we're receptive to that and we can do them. Really recently, I met Tessa and Scott, the Olympians for figure skating in Canada. I'm not yeah. sure if you, yeah, if you followed their career, but they were just inducted into the Canadian Hall of Fame and I had the opportunity to meet Scott after the event. And we, we were talking, we started off talking about limiting self-belief. And then he said something to me that really resonated. He said that the reason why I was able to become so successful is because I love figure skating. I wasn't doing it for any other reason that this is, I knew that I loved it. I knew I wanted to be a champion in figure skating. He said, as soon as people start to do things for the wrong reasons, then they're going to just get all this resistance and frustration and things aren't going to work out. So I love when you said that, you know, you're doing it for, you, you see these Instagram lives, but people are doing it really for the wrong reason. And I catch myself sometimes doing that recently, actually, over the last few months, I've felt that way about myself and it's something I'm proactively trying to adjust. 
Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because I've just been sort of putting connections together in my in, in my head as, as you were talking too. And I, I think part of this insight comes from also having been a television journalist because I noticed even then, the one thing I, I disliked about television and, and, and television documentaries and movie documentaries is, you know, when you do them, you realize as soon as you put a camera on people, you're not getting what they would normally do. Hmm. You know, all those people try to be natural, they're playing to the camera. So it's really hard to sort of capture people's true things with the camera. As soon as you put the camera on, it changes people's behavior. And I think the same thing is sort of happening with social media. As soon as you go to do something and think, oh, I'm going to start documenting this for my Facebook and Instagram feed, your enjoyment actually changes and what you're doing changes. Um, and I think, again, we sort of need that balance because we're in an era now where people go, well, if this one thing is good, I'll just keep on doing it. I'll be doing it, you know, every 10 minutes because this is a good thing. Not realizing that sometimes, you know what, maybe a little bit of this, but a little bit of that over there. And that can be, that can be challenging because I think people naturally are sort of hardwired to sort of pick one or two things and go really heavy on those things and make them a habit. Uh, it's hard, for instance, for, for people, like people usually become vegetarian if they want to eat more vegetables rather than say, you know what, I'm just going to limit meat. They end up going whole hog and going whole hog. Sorry. <laughs> um, but end up going vegetarian because in some way it's, it's easier for the brain to make decisions if it's, if it's a digital um, thought, which is either, you know, zero or a hundred as opposed to, oh, let's make it 10%. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can feel that because I do that myself. I did a carnivore only diet, so no vegetables uh, a couple months ago. And, and I didn't mind that because I completely limited everything except for this is the only thing I can choose and it made it so much simpler. And as an example, right now I'm a little bit more flexible, but no processed sugar is the way that I'm approaching my day. And it's because it gives me more energy, more clarity. But as soon as I say, well, I can have a little bit, then I, I make some mistakes. I make some mistakes, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's the weird thing about, about people. I mean, human beings, we think we're logical, but we aren't. I mean, our brains are very, very, very buggy. That's, that, that's the term I use with my clients. If you think of our brains as a computer, there's all sorts of bugs. And interestingly enough, I mean, sales, when you're dealing with sales, you're dealing with this huge bug that people have, which is money. Um, people don't, buy or people don't spend money logically and, and sometimes it, it bothers people who are in sales but once you sort of understand how that how that mind works it makes it a little bit easier to help people justify you know doing the right thing if, if you find something that you know obviously you know is going to benefit that's so important i'm glad you brought it back to sales because i'm thinking all the time about you know the numbers make sense we've been able to quantify the impact that this is going to have on your business but we need to be able to bring it back to the emotional drivers that are going to push people into action and make decisions. Before we wrap this up, then, is there anything that you can share in, in terms of insights when it comes to storytelling or buttons that you push to try to evoke emotion in people? Yeah, I mean, I really think that in, in the end, obviously, um, one of the best ways to actually get people's attention when you're telling a story is to include all of the sensory data. Um, sometimes people tell a story and it's very basic. This happened, this happened, this happened. Mm. 
However, if you start setting a scene and telling people what it looked like and felt like and what the characters are hearing mm -hmm. and feeling, suddenly all of those areas of the, of the brain start lighting up. And that's when people get really hooked on stories, really start paying attention. And once you've got people's attention, then again, like that, like that truck, you can sort of move that message in and use that as your, as your vehicle. Because at that point, you've really got people wired to hear whatever that message is. That's fantastic. And we could definitely end there. And I really appreciate your time. But my favorite question asked, because I can tell when I interview that I'm directing the flow of the, of the interview and I'm asking the question. So I want to open it up to anything that's on your heart, something that's been inspiring you lately, a book you read, a thought you've had, anything that you want to impart on the audience, it's your stage. Yeah, you know what, it's interesting because what really comes to mind right now is you know, that, that conversation that we had about, about creating space. Um, you know, life, life is short. I mean, we keep hearing that. Life is short. So you know, go out and do the things that you really like. And the caveat is, is understanding what you want, not what other people think you should want, not what looks cool on Instagram or cool on Facebook. And it doesn't necessarily involve, you know, creating all of these spreadsheets and goals. Sometimes it's just, oh, that would be cool. Let's do it. Um, it's funny because, you know, at, at the age I'm at now, I'm, I'm, I'm 50. Most, most of my age are compiling bucket lists. But um, because I grew up with a chronic illness, I, I did my bucket list early. I had my bucket list pretty much done by the time I was 35. I went to school in, in England. I became a professional writer at about 16. I, I wrote screenplays in the 19, or 19. I wrote screenplays when I was in my 20s. Mm -hmm. uh, comedy at 36, I decided I wanted to uh, be a rock star. So I put a, a band together and you know, we, did, uh, we did charity gigs at these big bars. And that's really all that I wanted was the idea of being on the stage playing music. And you know, I've done all this stuff and it's just basically come from, you know what, I'd really like to do that. And then just doing it. So, you know, really find out what, what you like and what you want and go out and do it. And don't wait for anybody's permission or don't think that you should be doing something else. And again, don't do it just because there's money in it, there's fame in it, there's Instagram in it. Just do it because you love it. Jason, thank you so much for that message. I really appreciate it. I needed to hear that. I know there's a lot of people listening to this that needed to hear that. Just do what you love right now in this moment. Life is short. Thank you so much for being on the show. I know that you have some giveaways, some free goodies that you'd want to be able to share with people listening to the show. Where can they go to be able to take advantage of that? Yes, so they can go to ultimatespeakerpackage.com. And there they can find uh, a video, there's audios there, there's PDFs uh, teaching you how to story tell, sorry, tell stories better, um, speak to sell yourself and a whole bunch of other things. Okay, fantastic. You, sir, are a man of integrity and this was an inspiring conversation. I really appreciate who you are and for you showing up today. I wish you the best and I'm always here to help if you, if you need something. I'm, I'm looking forward to round two. Awesome, Jonathan. Thank you so much for having me here. This has been a really awesome talk.